hard work, determination, taking massive risks, making sacrifices. I've made so many sacrifices along the way. And, you know, I just hope that, you know, the sacrifices would pay off. Welcome, everybody, to episode one of the Slow Smoked Business Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Morgan, joined by Franklin Hayes. And for episode one, we wanted to first start and tell you a little bit about who we are, which is going to lead up into our first guest. Franklin and I were a part of a company called ProctorU. This was a company that I actually started, I was the founder of in 2008, uh, that created a way for people to take tests online without having to go to a campus or a test center and using webcams and live people, allowing them to test right where they were, on their couch, on their at their kitchen table, wherever they were comfortable with. Now, I co-founded this company with a guy named Matt Jay, who's our, our first guest on this episode today, and I'm really excited about it. ProctorU went on to become Measure Learning, which is now the largest online testing company in the world, and we're really excited to have Matt here today to talk about how do you identify a partner or a person that you can start a project with, that you can actually build something with, and how do you learn that you can trust them? So welcome everybody to today's show. We've got a great guest lined up for you guys. He's actually a good friend of Jared and I that go way back. Uh, that's Mr. Matt Jay. Um, I often describe this guy as the smartest person that I know. Um, he is one of the co-founders for ProctorU. Uh, he served as its chief technical officer for many years. And before that, he actually took a really big risk, uh, leaving a great job with Best Buy's Geek Squad, uh, where he was in charge of all of Southern California. And he moved from Los Angeles cross country to little old Birmingham, Alabama, to join what at the time was a really small startup. And we went on to uh, build this great company called ProptU that is now part of Measure Learning. So everybody want to welcome uh, Mr. Matt Jay to the show. Welcome, Matt. Thanks, Jared. Thanks, Fran. I was making the joke. This is like a home game, right? This is couldn't find a friendlier face for episode one. Frank gave a, a brief kind of background there. Co-founder of Proctor U, also um, Alabama CIO of the year a couple years ago. What year was that? Yeah, nineteen. Feels like a lifetime ago, right? I know. Isn't that crazy how that works? Like just crazy. Like all this too, and this this whole pandemic thing has just been. This is the new normal, right? Like. This feels like the way it's like talking online like this. It is. feels a lot more natural than it used to. Um, I think you also actually, just a couple of weeks ago, won uh, 40 under 40 at the University of Florida. Is that right? I did. It was fantastic to be back in Gainesville. It was, uh, it was incredible to see how much that place has changed. Like all the, the hot spots, like some of them are there, some of them aren't. Like if you look across from where Chrysler was like, there, there's no, the fountain is gone. There's like all this construction everywhere. And yeah, it's gone. And Leonardo's pizza is like, that's gone. It's just like a lot. And then diagonal from that, you know, there used to be some stuff there. It's like this gigantic high rise with a target and everything. It's, it's crazy. Butler Plaza is blown up. It's this huge thing, um, but it's all progress. I mean, it, it, was, it was cool. It was awesome to be back there. The Gator Nation is live and strong. Um, that feel though, man, I, it was awesome to be out there to look around from the stadium to see like, all right, yes, swamp. I'm, I'm back. I'm home. It's, it's probably worth mentioning. This is only episode one, but uh, you're probably going to have one of the most interesting backgrounds behind you 
for anybody on this show, you've got a menagerie of guitars, like a gator guitar on the top. Matt says he calls you the like the smartest guy, and I would agree with that. But you're also, I always made the joke, you're like the most interesting man and in like a multifaceted musician, entrepreneur, you know, uh, triathlete, um, all sorts of stuff. So I don't know how much we're going to delve into any of that stuff. But what I was hoping we could do today, this is why you're the perfect first guest. A lot of people listening and watching this show online, they don't actually know the full story of how we, why, why are these guys uh, talking about entrepreneurship. Just going to take a whole series, Jared. Like, if you want to do that, man. The director's like, cut. <laughs> but I, I was hoping you would help us maybe go rewind the clock and tell the story of how we got here, um, how we how tell our entrepreneurship story, um, how we created a company called Proctor U. Would you like to launch into it or would you like me to tee you up? And Maybe it would be good for you to give your side of it of the, the starting thing, kind of tell where this came from. Yeah. So I remember way back, I mean, I was in LA at the time and you and I had always just kept in touch ever since, uh, Gainesville. And, um, man, I have to like peel back through, you know, some of the old emails and I guess blog things and like kind of see where my mind was at that time. But, and I distinctly remember, um, we were talking about, this opportunity that you'd gotten while working at Andrew Jackson University to create this social media for study groups. Oh, you're going that far back. I think that's the origin, right? Because we were gonna we were gonna we we're gonna roll Proctor U in, into Pupil City as a feature. Yeah, Pupil City it was called. Yeah, to drive like it was one of the monetization like mechanisms for Pupil City, along with electronic textbooks and like, you know, ad revenue and everything else. But um, proctoring was a service that was to be incorporated as part of Pupil City. And so that was the, that was a side gig. Right. Well, the theme of Pupil City was to try to create um, a centralized place where students could go and study in common subjects. Right. Um, and it's interesting when you talk about things like a lot of these ideas we had years ago, they seem silly now because there's like a million sites that are trying to do that. But at the time there was really nothing, no sort of I mean, social networking was really new. And so it was a novel idea to try to bring students together. I sometimes I forget to sort of think about Proctor U as kind of a pivot. It kind of was a pivot, right? I mean, we, hey, we started this social network thing for students and then um, it just wasn't really going anywhere. There wasn't a lot of interest in it, but we had also, created this tool for the university that I was working for to use to test people, to take, allow people to take tests without having to leave their home. So we, we created this thing using a webcam and, uh, you know, I was a decent computer science student at Florida, right? So I yeah. kind of like put a little something together, right. decent, um, not award-winning 40 under 40 like Matt J, but I, Work, got created something that worked and it was it was going pretty well but as it started to grow and it it quickly outpaced what we were doing really anything else that we were doing um i needed to pull in somebody that had a tech background to actually um make this thing real make it a make it a fully fleshed out product and so i called you know the guy that i had been using working using on the side like he's been helping me a lot 
and I called Matt here, who had a great life going in Los Angeles. This guy, he had a he had a wife, young wife who was pregnant. They're living in LA. He's in a rock band that he played. So at nights he's playing in a rock band on like the Sunset Strip. During the day, he's like a regional manager with Best Buy's Geek Squad. Like he's being invited to all these kind of upper level conversations. And then here I am, I call him and I go, hey, you know that little startup that, that actually couldn't afford to pay me like a couple of weeks ago? What do you think about joining full time? And the so the question I want to ask, this is I think would be really good for, for users to hear. How do you get the guts to take a risk like that and move across the country. I call it the reverse Beverly Hillbilly, right? It was, you went from LA to the country. Um, how do you get the guts to take what was a pretty comfortable life with a clear path forward and blow it up and move over and take a giant risk for a startup? Well, that's one of those things that, you know, when you, and now that I've been working with a lot of different startups and looking at their journey, and just like you guys read a ton of books about, success and what drives people and what the meaning of that is. And, you know, read Luke Brimer's like book and, you know, it's about hustle and hard work, but you just nailed it. Right. So success is the hard work, like the hustle, just like Luke talked about all, all everyone talks about hard work, right? That's like a given, but then there's the risk. And then there's also what you're willing to sacrifice. And you just talked a little bit about that. Right. And so at that point in time, yeah, I was, I was doing fairly well. I had a clear path to either become most likely become successful in a corporate sense, moving up that corporate ladder, um, with Best Buy. Um, and you know, I had a couple other, you know, various startup things, the music thing, quite honestly, like at that point in time, it was dying down a little, I was doing, I was producing some stuff for TV and film, little stuff here and there, little small wins. Wasn't making that much. Um, the band stuff was still like just barely. I mean, I in and out of bands. Like Franklin knows what that's like, you know. And out in LA, yeah, it sounds glamorous that you're playing Viper Room, the Roxy, and all these places on the Sunset Strip. But the truth of the matter is, is that you got to pay to play these places. You got to bring your crowds out there, and it's like this economic like <laughs> nightmare. And you know, a lot of times you go out to these clubs, yeah, you guys sell these tickets and you go out to these clubs and you're playing to the bartender. And then, you know, <laughs> at one o'clock in the morning, you got to haul all your crap, all that heavy stuff back there, down like two, three flights of stairs, walk through snow, you know, this is the story, right? It's just like, all right. You're jacking, you're jacking with my vision of how cool your life was, by the way. This is messing with my head. This is about, this is about slow smoke business, right? And this is about the ingredients about what it takes to become successful, I think, right? I think this is the opportunity you guys have to talk about. That it's not, it's not all like glamorous and glitzy or whatever and, and whatever. And, and same thing for me, man. It's just like hard work, determination, taking massive risks, making sacrifices. I've made so many sacrifices along the way. And, you know, I just hope that, you know, the sacrifices would pay off. Going back to your question, what motivated me to like to make that jump? There's a lot of different things. One one of the one of the main things that I found out that I've realized, I've come to realize after our our ordeal and working with the startups, um, 
is that you have to intimately trust the people that you work with. I don't care like what the idea is. If you can trust the people that you work with and you can, you can, you can do just about anything with these people. I feel that way about you three. Like I trust you guys. I would work with you guys again. And that's what really matters when it comes to startup. You can't do this stuff alone. You need help. You need, I don't care who you are. If you're the most interesting man in the world, the most read, the most, the smartest, whatever that may be, you have to be smart enough to know that you can't do friggin' everything. And then there are people that can do things way better than you can do. Right. And you put the pieces together. I think you did that too, Jared, right? Like you're good with tech, but you're great with friggin' sales and strategy and marketing. That's your secret sauce. I'm great with tech solving problems, um, coming up with, with crazy ideas on how to solve these problems, execution. That's what I do. And so you realize that early on. I realized that. I know that we could work together. And I knew that if we both grind like super like hard, all in, like that's what I did, right? That's what, that's, that's what I realized. You have to go all in. You want it to be successful? You got to sacrifice. You got to go all in. And that's what we did. And that's what I realized that you were willing to do and I was willing to do it too. And because we had this understanding of how we would work together, that was like a no-brainer to me. I know whatever we would do, we would make it successful because we were going, we were going all in, baby. All in. I mean, yeah, we, we we sold it all to to go in there and it was, you know, rice and beans and stuff to kind of make things work for a while. But I mean, so you you touched on something I thought was really interesting. So how do you, you know, a lot of people that are starting a project, I hundred percent believe in what you say. I couldn't imagine starting a project or a company without building a tribe of believers and doers around you. And so how do you think about, I mean, you and I had a, an advantage of the sense that we had known each other for a long time, but how do you find people? I'll tell you what, Jared, most of these people that are starting these companies, they don't. They don't find the right people to begin with. And they're like, I'm stuck. So what they do and how do you find the right people? Like that is, that is, it's, it's challenging, right? So um, they do it just like you do with any other thing, right? You, you kind of get yourself out there, handshakes, meet tons of people, join accelerators, incubators, apply for programs, put themselves out on um, various sites on the internet, like the YC Combinator, like matchmaker stuff. And they try to find people. They go to meetups, um, local meetups around town, uh, people that are you know out there looking. So a lot of times, what I see are visionaries looking for technical co-founders. That's 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 probably the biggest one, because um, there's a lot of ideas out there, but it's difficult to find out how to actually implement and execute those ideas. So you see a lot of people that that have their idea guys, but they lack the the doer, the technical guy. Yes, that is that is far and away the biggest thing that I see out there right now. So um, the cohorts that I work with, you know, luckily a lot, most of them, they've kind of figured that piece out and they have somebody that they can go to for a technical, you know, technical questions where they've surrounded themselves with good mentors, good people that they can do. And that's, and that's what I suggest too for, for co-founders, non-technical co-founders. If you can't find that right partner, surround yourself with people that are willing to help you out and be mentors and help you not make some of those same mistakes that like even I made, we made coming up, right? 
um, that can make a huge difference. Take the time to find the right person that works with you. These people are going to be with you more than your family. When you, when you think about it, at the end of the day, the three of us spent more time farting in a single room, like <laughs> just grinding than we spent with our, ver- our own families. Like you've got to be comfortable in being able to do that first and foremost. So when, when somebody that you're working with and one of these cohorts that you're working with comes to you and says, I'm looking for a technical co-founder, what kind of advice can you give them when they have somebody and they're trying to evaluate if this guy is the one? It's, it's, it's harder than dating in some respects, right? Because it's a little more transparent in dating. You sort of like, you know, you sort of know what you're looking for and you can feel things out. And also like there's a there's a half step to date. Like you can date for a little while and then nah, this is not working out. It's harder to do that when you're trying to start a company with somebody. So what kind of advice do you give to people when they think they've identified a partner, but they're not sure? Well, I think first and most, we talked about that ability to to vibe with the other person. I and mean, you've you've got to be able to work with this person through thick and thin, good times, bad times, and be able to understand and come to some sort of understanding and agreement during all of these challenging situations that you're going to, you undoubtedly will encounter throughout this journey. And then, you know, from the, from the kind of technical perspective, it's, it's about, it's, I think it's more about, can this person learn and adapt and solve for the types of problems that you're going to encounter? Because you're not going to find, unless, unless it's some known problem that you're going to solve, right? You're, you're going to find somebody that can can think on the fly and solve for these problems, these technical challenges or whatever. And, and, it, and if it is like a known type of problem that you're trying to solve, like for example, if you're technology enabled versus technology driven, then you might be better off going, um, you know, having a really strong mentor network and using consultants and just, you know, keeping as much equity as possible as a, as a founder and maybe not even worry about having a co-founder um, or a CTO or whatever that may look like until you have reached a size of scale or really starting to grow either on your way to your series A or post series A because your um, your investors have been like, all right, you've rolled this far. That's great, but you need somebody now, right? And speaking of uh, some of the past history that we have at ProcU, Matt, what do you think was the biggest challenge that you had to overcome during your roughly decade and a half there? What was the, the biggest thing that you had to work through? Oh, man, there's so many challenges that we that we encountered. I would say the biggest one is the pushing yourself through the various growth inflection points, whereas you realize that what you did, you know, that worked successfully a couple months ago, um, maybe even a year ago as you got bigger, is just no longer good enough. It's just not, it doesn't work. And you have to do some drastic changes and move really fast and, and try to, to chart the right course when it comes to whatever is needed to be successful. And what's difficult about that is not just the change or the challenge of the change, but it's also the impact of what it does to the people around you that that you work with because people are adverse to change. And what hurts is to see these people that you grew up with in the trenches 
that grind and work super hard with you, for you, however that may be. And they just quite aren't along for the rider. They just don't get it. Um, and to see those kinds of people like fall out from the business, that that's challenging, man. That That's tough. We had a lot of those like inflection points with, with after you, right? I mean, we we did. And, you know, some people rolled through those changes and some people, some people unfortunately didn't, you know, it's painful, but you can't always, um, you know, I've always said when you, you have to try to have some, a level of trust with the people that you work with. And one of the things that I've always said is like, how do you figure out how to trust people is you got to you got to really understand what somebody wants. What do they really want? Some people are motivated by, you know, solving interesting problems. And some people are motivated by personal growth. And some people are motivated by money. And some people are motivated by, you know, exposure. And once you sort of understand what a person really wants, um, then you can sort of understand them and where they're going. And it helps you kind of trust them a little more when they get into a situation, well, this person, you know, is looking for this kind of thing or this guy this is probably how they're going to react there. But we got to, you get to inflection points where there's some really great people that you're working with. And then you have an inflection point in a business where everything changes. you got, you know, maybe you got a, a new set of bosses or a new investors or a new market that you're tackling. And those same people may not be the ones that move you into the next phase. And that's a really... For me, that was probably the most difficult element of entrepreneurship of, of all was was realizing that the people that were there with me in the trenches in this phase are not necessarily going to be the people that are there in the next phase. And then that that's OK. It took me a long time to realize that that was OK. And it wasn't some kind of failure on my part or on the organization's part. It's just, you know. People, I like the way I've heard it uh, said, you know, Masters of Scale says this a lot. Uh, you know, you do tours of duty, right? Sometimes, sometimes you think of your career in tours of duty and someone did a tour of duty with us in the early phase um, and it made a lot of sense then. And then it kind of, you know, when we get to another one, maybe the next tour doesn't make sense for that person. Yeah, that's well said. That, that is, that's well said. And, and I think that summarizes that question that you're asking me, Franklin, about, you know, that one of the largest challenges, but I mean, I, there's probably other ones, Jared and, and Franklin that, that I, that, you know, that come to mind too, but that's the one that kind of stuck, you know, right now in the moment. Well, certainly in the early days, overcoming lack of resources was a difficult one. Um, yeah. And, and lack of resources though, <laughs> there's always a lack of resources. Always. Yeah. I don't care how big you get. There's always a lack of resources. Well, Frank, so one thing we've we've said the story of how Matt and I sort of came together in the early days, and and we could we could do probably six episodes at least on the art of finding your co-founder and the person that you can trust, and and it's about trust and it's about skill sets alignment. Matt and I are different; we're very different, and that's why we worked really well together. Um, is because he can do a lot of things that I can't. I can do a lot of things that he doesn't do. He can do a lot of things that I do. But but I, I, we had different skill sets, right? Um, but if you go like a step further, so once Matt and I got together, like we had to kind of find almost like employee number one. Right. Or empl- one of the first employees. And that's that's what led us to Franklin. Right. And so there's a there's another art of going and find going and finding like employee one. And to me, what what brought what drew us to Franklin and then people like Franklin afterwards was like 
you want to find somebody who's a believer and who's hungry. And that was, that was the big thing with Franklin. Like he was coming from the same sort of background that we had coming from a, like a city in Pensacola, Florida, which I love dearly, but there wasn't like a thriving startup scene in Pensacola at the time. And the interest to sort of leave what you know and throw yourself all the way in to do something, because that's really what it takes if you're going all in on a startup. You want to find that employee one that will throw themselves into the mission the same way that the founders are. And that's kind of what we found with Frank, right? Definitely. Yeah, I would agree with that. Me personally, I was at the end of one chapter and really eager to start the next chapter. So I was at that perfect inflection point in my own personal life that that kind of led me there. Um, and Jer- Jared, to steal something that you said a ton of times is, you know, step one is, you know, finding people to get on the bus with you, which is what we're talking about. And then the next phase of that was kind of moving people around so that they're on the right seat on the right bus, uh, which was another you know, interesting challenge by itself. Franklin, I just wanted you on the bus, buddy. <laughs> you and I have been friends like forever. So, and for the record, full disclosure, I'm pretty sure I lifted that from a book somewhere. I just don't remember what book it was. So, you can't honestly go around calling me employee number one because I think Amanda Heilman is is holder of that record. <laughs> That's true. I mean, the truth is, at the, we, ours is a little bit different. We had a lot of part time folks. I think you may have been the first like full time guy maybe i think so uh, but you know we built the original operation around you and your dedication and your willingness to sort of be up there you know again we proctored tests we had real people interacting with students watching them take tests and so we had to be uh we weren't 24 hours yet but we had to be you know there every day solving problems this test isn't launching this person has a question this person's computer is smoking and shaking and we got to figure out how to fix it um you know I, that's that's probably you know a startup is just an endless series of problem solving and so i think that's another thing when you identify the people that you want to work with you need to go find people who are good problem solvers and are willing to admit that they don't have all the answers and I, you know, I'd ask you guys, you know, for the, the, for me, if I asked you what character traits were consistent with the people that lasted for a long time, I would say it would be people that were okay, not having all the answers, but willing to go find them. Right. If you look at the people that made it through a lot of chapters through, you know, this decade plus growth with us in this company, it was problem solvers. Uh, and people that weren't so arrogant or weren't so, um, you know, had had to be right. They wanted to kind of go find the right answer. Yeah, it's about thinking outside of the box. I mean, that I think is one of the things that I, I look for when I was hiring folks is that could these people solve problems and think outside the box? We were innovating and pioneering an industry. There was There was no one doing exactly what we were doing at the time people were copying us i mean the closest thing was criterion and 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 they weren't even ready when we were we were launching all around the same time and they had a different approach um when it came to proctoring right there they had their own test delivery provider and they were centering their solution around the test delivery system uh, which is not a bad approach but it hurts adoption and, and hurts scale when you're trying to Go with a cool and innovative strategy like planting flags everywhere, right? Well, I was about finding what the market was open to. I mean, it, 
look, I mean, the market all kind of went that way. I think a lot of companies were just, you know, attack tackled the problem in a way that the market wasn't ready for yet. At the time, we were fortunate in that what the market was ready for was small adoptions of, you know, low tech, not a lot of like, oh, you got to download and install all this stuff. Um, and so, yeah, that plant the flag strategy was really critical because what we did was we were willing at the time to take a school or a class or whatever, no matter how small, because it got us on a campus. It got us another set of believers, people going, yeah, actually, this was great. Like I took my test at home. And I think that's critical for any startup, right, is to you got to like start building your tribe of users and get your early fans. And that's really what we did, I think, very well was get a lot of small wins and start like raking them together into what became, you know, momentum. That's right. Product market fit. That's one of the main indicators that I work startups with, work with the startups with to try to establish is that product market fit. That is critical. And you described it to a T. So Matt, as you're working uh, with Innovation Depot and your community to to help these innovators and entrepreneurs get started, you know, what are the three like major things that you think every entrepreneur should really have under control? What stage do you think you're talking about here? Are we talking about you know like ideation stage? We're we talking about you know they've they've got an MVP or they they're working on MVP, they're post MVP, they're pre revenue but have an MVP. Are they post, you know, are they, are they slightly post revenue? Are they like, what, what stage? Cause it's like at there at various stages of the entrepreneur game, there's those three most important things like change dramatically. Right. So you've got to think about it like that, that, you know, you gotta, you gotta like crawl before you can like walk and then you gotta walk before you can run and then so forth. And the entrepreneur journey in these various stages, the most important things um, it's funny. I, I think I have PTSD when it comes to hearing about the most important things. <laughs> well, that brings up a a good point too. Do you think there's do you think there's any one specific path for people to go from an idea on a whiteboard all the way to you know mid sized corporate success? Like, or because I know I know how you think. I'm I'm, I'm kind of asking you this question with a little bit of personal bias, Matt. I know that you'd like to have very specific systems. You're very left brain. So I'm curious uh, if you find that there is a specific pattern that makes the most sense for people, or is it really just like the Jared style, just get it done and see what happens? Like, is it somewhere kind of in the middle? No, there, there's, there's no pattern. There, there's no specific patterns to success, just like with anything. And that's why like these types of podcasts and like self-help type things and weight loss type things and systems are also popular is because there is no one thing that fits all in this situation with business with like your personal whatever that may be there is no one size fits all it's what resonates with you and, and what works for you doesn't work for everybody and so i think what a lot of people do when they're on this journey to try to either expand their sales better themselves whatever that may be they 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 absorb all of this types of these this information right from podcasts like this reading books, talking to people, and then hopefully they're going to find something that really resonates with them and that works for them, or they're going to discover that system or method for themselves. It's, it's, I, in my, in my experience, I have not found there's, I don't think there's anyone that, that you could say like, oh, there's a 100% cure, 
guaranteed you do this and you're going to be successful. If you're, if, if you're, if, if you hear somebody saying that they're selling you snake oil, uh, I would, I would, I would say no, man. I agree. I actually, I won't name names, but I sat through a presentation recently of somebody giving, giving this, uh, this framework and they'd written a little book and everything about like, if you will follow this format for your startup to a T guaranteed success, right? And so this person starts going through these steps and I was in, I was actually, I was, I was there with some folks that I had worked in a part of one of our former CEOs and guy I'd worked with a lot. Scott McFarlane was, was there and I'm, I'm looking at him and he's sort of looking at me and we're going, you know, I don't know if you can prescribe it. That is so much that you have to, there's so many X factors that you have to, you know, to figure out it's never clean. It look that's what, that's what I think people don't get. And that's what I'm hoping to give through this podcast is like, tell our story and have other people tell their stories, but there is no one path. It's not clean. It's never going to be this neat little tidy. Like we started it and then it go and then it grew and then it grew a little more and then it grew. It's never, it's a winding path with problems and like near extinction events. Every time you turn around and like crazy things that you've never considered. I mean, we, we built a proctoring company uh, and then had to get really good at predicting hurricanes as they threatened our offices and then had to adapt to like pandemics. And you just never know what you're going to get. And all those things could can mean success or failure. So you're right. There is no path. There is no one path. There is a set of skills that you can teach yourself that will help you adapt to whatever crazy curveball this story is going to throw you. Like think about this, bring us back to barbecue, Jared. You're, I think out of all the three of us, you're the first one who really embraced cooking barbecue, right? And then it was me, and then I think Franklin. This is gonna take a turn. This episode is gonna take a turn. The the methods that you used to first create barbecue on your electric smoker. Oh my god, yes. You wouldn't do that again. Like you wouldn't do that. This kid. Oh, I'm gonna get run out of this. I'm gonna get run out of Bama and Texas. Yeah, there's no way you'd do that now, right? But you know, you learned a lot from that and now you realize too. And then Franklin, and and now I think, you know, you're, you're in the modern age now with, with better smoking technology and, and doing all that stuff. You can have like the most perfect recipe. You could, I bet you, you could get like Franklin's barbecue recipe, like the Franklin and Austin Franklin, Franklin's and, and still not be able to make it. Yeah. Not, not this particular Franklin, Franklin barbecue. And still not be able to make brisket like that person can. Uh, that will show you exactly how to do it, but that doesn't mean 12 hours later, you're going to have good brisket. <laughs> oh yeah. That doesn't, that doesn't mean it. And so I think people, and I watch a ton of YouTube videos about, about like, oh, how do you, how do you make Franklin's, Franklin's brisket? And it's like, oh, do you use the Wagyu beef tallow? Like at a certain point and like in the cook and all this stuff. And it's the same thing. And what we're talking about here is just like, yeah, you can have all these like tips and things, but man, it doesn't mean you're going to have success. So Matt, if you were going to start over, right? Rewind the clock, you're back in your 20s and you got to pick some partners and you can't pick the partners that you that you had for your rides. You got to pick new ones. What would you do to figure out whether or not the person that you're talking to is the one that you can actually build a meaningful company with? Yeah, that's one of those things, right? So I think it, it centered, we, we talked initially about this. So you've got a problem and you want to solve it. And so you got to find the right people that can help you solve that problem. So first, 
first off, it's about knowing yourself. Like, how do you, how do you solve problems? How do you see the world? What problems do you think you might need to solve? And how would you solve them? And are there people out there that could solve them better that understand your vision, right? Um, and that's kind of just talking about the problem space. But even more importantly is, do you mesh with this person? Does this person work with you? Can you deal with this person um, through thick and thin, through um, adversity, challenges? Because you're not always going to see eye to eye. And when that happens, what happens? Are you guys going to, I don't know, get into a fist fight? Or, you know, are you guys going to be able to um, talk it through and come up with a solution in the end? So for me, it's the latter, right? You got to be able to talk, talk to this person and hopefully come to some sort of uh, solution. And I think being able to find someone like that is, is the critical piece. You have to be able to find somebody that um, is compliments you in the way that you understand that they have some strengths that you don't necessarily have and that they are in the mindset similar enough to you. Whereas when you get into these situations that um, where you're not going to agree that um, you'll be able to find a solution in the end. It's hard to build anything without the right kind of people around you. And sometimes it's hard to know, it's hard to figure out how people solve problems so you actually get into the problems. I mean, for me, it was always trying to find being, you know, I always my superpower is being really honest about what I'm not good at, right? And so finding people that were good at the things that I wasn't good at was always like table stakes, right? You're trying to build the the, uh, a functional team around you of people that do the things, you know, Franklin, way more detail oriented than I could, writes really well, you know, all these old things that were a struggle for me. Um, you put a tribe of people around you that all have sort of comp, you know, complementary skills. That's how you can build something that can really make a difference and actually create something. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. One of my big takeaways from this conversation is, um, you know, given that the environment we were in was was constantly evolving and adapting and changing, it was a matter of really never getting to that point of being comfortable and getting a little bit lazy. So now all three of us are kind of headed into new chapters, you know, post ProctorU, post measure learning. Uh, so what does that look like for you, Matt? Like, what are some of the things that you're looking for to get involved with next? Or what are some of the things that you've been up to since uh, since measure learning? Yeah. So the main thing that I've been doing um, is I'm kind of in give back mode right now. During the decade of operating with Proctor U, I was like heads down, just grinding. Um, and now that I have that I've stepped away from that, I realized that I want to be, I didn't, I didn't really interface with the local community like I probably should have. I didn't build a lot of relationships uh, and, and give back the way that I probably should have while coming up. And so I want to pay that forward. And that's why I've been doing a lot of these things with startups and mentoring, coaching and developing, working with Innovation Depot. Um, so I want to be able to do that. And along the way, I've met some of the most incredible, uh, talented people. Um, and it's just humbling to see like all these 
awesome people doing these really, really cool things. And I've passed up some opportunities and I think that's okay. Like at this point, I talked earlier about the hard work, the risks and the sacrifices that it takes to become successful. And I sacrificed time away from family, um, relationships, even my own personal health initially. So like you guys know that was the freaking fat ass, like when I first joined prior to you and I saw myself and I was like, holy crap for that year. I was like, this is not good. So I'd sacrifice personal health. So I immediately like reprioritized what was important to me and was like, all right, health has got to be number one box. Cause like, if I'm not healthy, none of it is going to work. Like it's none of it's going to work. So number one. So now that I've got this, we've earned this, we've, we've collectively earned this, um, this time back and these resources, um, whatever next endeavor that I decide to do is probably going to take a backseat to family and personal health. Now, now that's like personal health, family, and then whatever else. So I've made sacrifices while doing prior to you. Uh, I didn't get to see some things that, you know, my, my 10 year old did growing, growing up. I have those opportunities now with the four year old. So I'm not going to miss any of those moments. I'm, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be able to hang out. I'm going to be able to do all those things that I missed out on. And, um, whatever comes next, whatever that may be, uh, it can wait until they're older and then I can settle. Same thing. Like when I did Ironman too, I realized, cause I see a lot of people who, who do Ironman all the time and that's awesome. Um, but it takes so much time and so much dedication in order to, to, to do that. I told myself after I did one, I was like, I'm not going to do this until my kids are like way older. It can wait. Same thing for like, whatever that may be, if it's earth changing or whatever that may be opportunity wise, uh, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to do anything. Um, I'll continue to do all things and find opportunities. I bet you out there, there is some Goldilocks opportunity that kind of meets the balance between my goals and what I want for now. So, um, that's the balance between, you know, taking care of myself, taking care of my family and then everything else. But that's most likely not going to be an early stage startup because early stage startups need that all in dedication. I mean, you need to be able to take that, that risk. You need to be able to make those sacrifices. So it's probably not going to be something like that. This, this, uh, this go around or for the next couple of years. I mean, think about it with, um, with my oldest, I've got four, maybe five years of time left with him until, you know, dad's not cool anymore. And then, um, with my four-year-old, I've got, you know, I've got, you know, 10, 11 more years until dad's not cool anymore. So in the pantheon of things, it's not, it's not that long to wait. Well, thank you, Matt, for being here on episode one of the slow smoke business podcast. Uh, I have a strong suspicion this is probably not your last episode here. Uh, you've just got, there's so much, there's like a rich history here. There's so much to tell. Um, enjoyed having you here and we'll have you back soon. Hey, likewise, it, it's been a pleasure, man. And I'm so proud of both of you guys. Like it's, it's been an awesome ride. <laughs>